Welcome to the Beef and Bitcoin podcast. This is episode 12 with your hosts, Brett and CH. Uh, today's topics, we really wanted to talk about adoption. There's been a couple of pieces of news that have come out in the past few weeks uh, related to adoption. Um, one just recently, I think it was yesterday, Square Crypto, Binance looks like they're getting into the on-ramp industry. And uh, Lolly is a pretty cool new uh, browser extension to help onboard new users into Bitcoin, get them earning Bitcoin by shopping online. So we'll talk about that. And then, of course, we'll talk a little bit about the uh, some of the global macro that we're seeing and also a few uh, user submitted questions. But before we get started, man, how you doing this week? I'm not doing too bad. It's another interesting week in the markets. And as usual, Bitcoin is making it all the more interesting getting at 4000 again. Uh, I, I don't know what the bottom's in, but I feel like it is because you keep getting more people calling for lower, and it's going to get interesting soon. That's all I got to say. Yeah, I think patience uh, will reward those who are uh, dealing with this right now and, and just uh, stacking responsibly. It will it will reward you in the long run. Uh, but it's been nice. I haven't really been looking at any charts or the price. Just uh, been doing my research, studying. It, it's been way better for my anxiety level. So oh, I bet. That's, a, that's a little tip, the secret of the uh, person pretending to be a pro over don't here. Look, don't look at the charge. Don't look at the price. Right, exactly. <laughs> so uh, let's get into our first topic here. We got um, Square Crypto. So I saw that this actually retweeted by somebody and it just had you know the eyes on it saying, you know, what the hell is this? So we did a little bit more digging, and Jack had uh, Jack Dorsey, the CEO of Twitter and Square, had a really interesting tweet thread that was just really, really good words about Bitcoin and how he's hiring uh, three to four software engineers to contribute, basically to make open source contributions to Bitcoin. And that's uh, that's awesome. That's something that the space definitely needs. They need because uh, remember these open source software contributors are not paid by anyone. There is no Bitcoin marketing department. It doesn't exist. So uh, it's really nice to see Square using some of its resources and deploying that towards uh, you know, software engineers who can really contribute and make uh, the protocol stronger and more user friendly and uh, more efficient. And one of those people that he was hiring as well was a designer. And that just makes perfect sense because, I mean, you know, it's March of 2019 and the user experience for using Bitcoin is still kind of shitty, but it's getting really better. It's, it's definitely uh, made it's getting a lot bounce. better. Yeah. I, was, I mean, I go ahead. Go ahead. I was just going to say, I was not even on Kraken earlier and Kraken's improved its UI and UX tenfold from what it was, you know, six to eight months ago. And as, as we've talked about before, UI, UX, the ability for someone to easily be able to, like just like using an Apple, you know, Apple like an iPhone, being able to intuitively use it um, is the biggest thing. And there's a, you know, pretty interesting thing from, and I'm just a little sidetracked here, but about intuitiveness and like a UI, UX feature. The great example was the iPad. Uh, and I believe this, if I remember correctly, it's from uh, Steve Jobs' biography. But it talked about how a kid in some, you know, third world country, you know, where they have no electricity, no power, they gave the kid the iPad and he was able to play Angry Birds with it. Because it's intuitive, it's on the finger, you know, and and the same thing can translate to the UI UX, as there's even like Lolly, which um, users watching on YouTube would have seen earlier. The the UI UX of this page is awesome. It looks great. It's clean. It's friendly, and it gets you straight to the point. 
Um, and that's where Square is a huge player in this whole game is Square is already everywhere. I mean, it is in a bunch of, you know, local shops, a bunch of, you know, uh, smaller business owners use it, especially like when you can just plug into your audio jack and swipe. Um, so that's huge. And and then the fact that Jack Dorsey is really pumping it. Uh, I mean, Dorsey's not only is he the CEO and founder of one public company, CEO and founder of two public companies, Square and Twitter. And I opened up just to see what their market caps are at right now. But I want to say they're in the tens, if not hundreds of billions. So Square is a $32 billion company and well, almost 33. And um, wow, Twitter's actually a smaller market cap at $25 billion. That's kind of sad. But I bet Square probably makes more money in that sense. But it's, it's yeah, pretty I, interesting. I mean, how much Bitcoin? We were speculating. How much Bitcoin does he have? Like, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> like, how much Bitcoin does just, Jack have? <laughs> I don't know, man. Uh, for his personal security, uh, I will say that he probably doesn't have that much Bitcoin. But <laughs> who knows? He's the CEO of Twitter and Square. I, I hope he has a bunch squirreled away. Um, and he never tells anybody that he has it. Oh, yeah. But uh, it's really interesting when you think about Square uh, in in this example. I don't – every small business that I've gone into recently is using Square as their point of sale. And I remember talking to uh, like a small coffee roaster, a little espresso bar near where my parents live. And they were using Shopify point of sale. And I asked them why. I was like, why aren't you using Square? They're like it doesn't make any sense that you would use Shopify. And the reason was because they use Shopify – on their online store and their online store came before their physical store. So they didn't want to take the time to migrate everything over to square. And, uh, my experience with using their Shopify point of sale wasn't, wasn't great. Um, like square works every single time so fast. And I was actually listening to, uh, to an interview with Jack and he was talking about how, I mean, they were working on like real engineering problems to, to, um, allow the, the chip reader and the square, uh, readers to get down to like four seconds. Whereas I, I remember using the chip readers when they first came out and I mean, it took forever. You're literally like you put the chip in there and it's, you know, 15 seconds later, it's really frustrating to the point where that you wouldn't want to use a card with a chip in it. So like he's thinking about these kinds of problems and then he sees something like Bitcoin and lightning network and says, you know, Oh my God, I can't believe you can get this down to like a fraction of a second. And those four seconds, those 12 seconds, they really make a difference. Like you would stop going into a place if it took too long for you to place your order. It's frustrating. It's annoying. Um, and you start opening up Square to merchants with uh, who are interested in Bitcoin and it gets really interesting. And, uh, you know, one of the things I was thinking of is if I'm a, if I'm a, a merchant using Square and I want to get paid in Bitcoin, but my customer wants to use fiat, I don't wonder if that's something that Square can pull off because they already have the liquidity pool for um, Cash App for buying Bitcoin. So I'm not sure if it would be any different for them to you know, receive a five bucks for a coffee on a Square reader, but that merchant actually wants the five bucks to be paid in Bitcoin. Um, I think that would be interesting. You could have like a sliding scale. You know, I want to, I want, uh, you know, 5% of every sale to be converted into Bitcoin and then deposited in my cold storage wallet as an example. That would be, that would be huge for merchants actually starting to build more of a circular economy. It's uh, definitely interesting as you're mentioning like the 
people don't think about that 15 seconds being a big deal. But you think about a grocery store. If you have 100 customers, that's a lot of time. You know, it's 15, or, yeah, 1,500 seconds. You know, um, and so that time adds up, and it's very frustrating. Like, I can't tell you how many times you go to the grocery store. I'm always trying to go, if possible, to, you know, when I go to Costco, you can't, of course. But you're always trying to go to, like, you know, um, the whatever, the automated one, so you don't have to deal with the line. Like, you're just trying to get out of there. And that, that whole point of sale thing is crucial. And if, if a system doesn't, like, every time I've used Square, as you said, it's quick. It takes, you swipe it and it's done. Um, and just one more little announcement. There's a new daily candle on the Bitcoin. So uh, it's going to get pretty interesting here and see what happens. Oh, yeah, good point. Um, yeah, I, I don't wonder if, uh, you think Square will, will ever have, like, their own, like, node at home solution? That's a good question. Do you think they would ever like? I wouldn't. I mean, I, I think it's stray. They'll they'll stray from, uh, like that merchant, consumer relationship. Like that's their business model. They're not. A, it's weird because it almost is a consumer product. Like their hardware is legit. It's slick. It looks fantastic. It works perfectly. I can't imagine that they don't have the expertise, especially in hardware, to uh, to come up with their own. Uh, plug and play node solution it would be legit and i know jack has the, the casa. casa node i mean like that's that's awesome i'm glad that he's testing it but i mean that's pretty much just a raspberry pi in a in a really nice box and has a great user interface around it that's that glass yeah. what you're paying for i mean and they're the king of you know user experience with square with you know square and cash app and it certainly looks like they have the hardware expertise i mean those point of sales are legit um, I think it would be really dope if you had like a, like a little home node that actually had a screen on it. Like if you could do everything from the node itself without even having to connect to a computer. Cause I wonder like some people don't even have laptops anymore to connect to a node. I know you can connect to a node with your phone. Um, but sometimes that initial setup, like you still need a computer. Huh. That'd be interesting if you could do it all right from the device or somehow share the screen or I don't know. A built-in screen might be tight. I'm not sure. Maybe it won't be. Uh, that would probably be a big cost, I feel like. That's the issue. Yeah. But, this... like, then everything's secure on the device. Like, yeah, it no. Does, it's... it's not – like, like even if, you're, if your laptop, you've been, you know, downloading torrents for, like, six years on your MacBook and it's riddled with viruses or malware or something. <laughs> Like, and then you, you know, you go and too you, much porn you, hub for that guy. That's what I mean. Like you go, <laughs> exactly. You go and you connect to your Casa node and, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a lot of security in place that Casa would do to try to prevent that kind of stuff. But I mean, still, if you really want it to be all on one device, I guess that's the way you'd have to go. But that's what makes me think Square could do that because their point of sale is already legit. I could see them just making a smaller one that almost like you could like open up a lid or, or something and it had a screen, like a little touch screen. Might be dope. I'm not sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I was going to say, if, if if Square doesn't have the talent, the $33 billion will be able to pay for talent. That's all I got to say. Like, yeah. They'll find it. That just makes me think there's so many products. Like if you think of Bitcoin as a, its own industry, right? It's its own little parallel economy. They're going to start building like new products for it around products that already exist. Like people are, um, people are building products to use with those open dimes, the little USB, uh, Bitcoin 
uh, like wallets. Basically, you send Bitcoin to this USB stick, a physical device, and it, the, the private keys are are um, literally on the device and you can't get to them unless you like crack open the plastic seal and, and you you get the keys out of it. So you know that it hasn't been tampered with if you were to just hand it some to somebody. And people are building products like around that because it's like uh, something that would a Bitcoiner would use. So you need other products that you can use with that. Like these little um, little readers, basically you would put it in and you'd see how much Bitcoin was on it and then you could pay for something with that. Like it's going to create more wealth. You know, there's going to be new things that don't exist today that still need to be made, which is pretty sweet. There's so much white space in there for anybody who's listening and wants to get involved. Like there's so much to do. Yeah, there's, I mean, as we talked about before, we're either really right or really wrong on this. And I think um, as we're seeing the companies that move ahead, like obviously like Square, there's other ones too, that move ahead in the space and get ahead will be the same thing that happened with the internet. And maybe not on the same scale because the internet's, you know, a little bit different in the sense that the internet was connecting information and whatnot. But the whole internet money thing, uh, if you get a chance, I've said before, read the internet money by Andreas Antonopoulos. It's phenomenal. There's two books so far. I don't know if there's a third volume, but the two first volumes are great, easy read. And you don't have to know shit about Bitcoin. And it explains it very well. And he does a great job with analogies. But um, I lost my train of thought there with... Oh, so no, yeah, internet money. So internet money, basically, we're so early in Bitcoin. Like, who knows what the hell this is going to end up being in the grand scheme of things? Um, and you know, just like the internet, like people in the very early days, like because we got to think before the internet, like before Sir Tim Berners Lee made it, so like everyone could go hop on the internet. It was a military project. It was for universities and militaries that could so they could communicate in the you know case of a crisis and whatnot, and they could communicate at all times. And then before that, it was not, you know, just TCP IP. I wanted to, uh, I wanted to go to a question from uh, one of the listeners that sent in on Instagram. Since we're still on the topic of, uh, of Square, was, <clears throat> what can Square potentially do for merchant adoption? And I think we kind of just talked about that. I think it will be <laughs> merchants who are already using Square and then start to use some of the Bitcoin integrations and they start seeing the benefits of it will spread rapidly and it will be an advantage to be using Square because you might even be able to lower your you'd increase your profit margins because I think the fees right now for using Square are probably like between 2 and 3% for a merchant that's a, a good ballpark. I'm not a hundred percent sure, but that's what I would ballpark it as. And then <laughs> using lightning or Bitcoin is substantially lower. So it, the only problem is you need your customers to want to use Bitcoin. So, uh, that's kind of like a chicken before the egg kind of thing. But, um, if you're a merchant and you want to start offering a 15% discount to people who want to, to people who want to pay in Bitcoin, that might be a good way to drive uh, merchant adoption specifically because you'll be able to offer um, your product at a lower pr price only if the customer is willing to pay in Bitcoin. So the incentives change a little bit, um, and merchants won't do anything unless it's more profitable to them, as they shouldn't. Um, and they'll slowly start to realize that doing business in Bitcoin will end up being um, dramatically more profitable to them. Yeah. What do you think? It's it's interesting, as you said, like the you know the, ch the whole chicken before the egg thing. Um, 
the hard, you know, hard thing is you need user adoption. It's the same thing as the internet and the same reason we saw internet companies fail left and right in 2000. Their valuations got blown out of proportion and there was no users. It's the same thing we saw with crypto. They had all these great, uh, you know, I, I wouldn't even say ideas. Some were decent ideas, but there was nothing there besides, the, you know, the concept in the white paper. Um, and so when we're looking at here with Bitcoin, you need user adoption for that to happen, for you know, people to use Lightning Network. That's just a simple fact. It's just like anything else. Right, exactly. And, uh, you know, to be clear, I think user adoption, you know, merchant adoption is not around the corner, at least in the United States. I don't think it's around the corner um, because it's not necessary yet here. I'm sure it will be at some point. Mm -hmm. But uh, I was just listening to an interview with um, Jack Mallers, and he uh, – is the creator of the Zap wallet, which is a lightning wallet that's really, really nice. And uh, he was saying that he was just in China doing a meetup, and he said it was completely different there because everyone is already so used to using, um, interacting with the money that they have and their phone at the same time and scanning QR codes and sending money to each other back and forth in a text message um, ways that are like the money's already easily integrated there, um, but heavily surveilled, unfortunately, but they, the concept of like scanning a QR code to pay for something for them, it's like, they're already there. They don't need anybody to learn a new skill. Like it exists already. Not that scanning a QR code is a skill, but to some people they can't do it. But, uh, that's why you'll, you'll see that adoption that consumer adoption probably later here because it's just going to take that much longer the only thing that would make it accelerate is if our money stopped working so well which yeah, is potentially also right around the corner i'm really not sure what's going to happen first because uh Dude, both the, both of those scenarios are inevitable i just don't know when either one is going to happen i know bitcoin will be adopted and i know that um fiat currencies won't stick around forever yeah uh, I mean, you've mentioned yeah. before the Lindy effect. I mean, the U.S. dollar's been around for a while, so the longer currency's around, the longer chance it will be around for a longer time. Um, and like the the British pound's been around forever, now it's a fraction and like a fraction of a percent, and a fraction of that percent of its value what it originally was. But that's the point. The longer the currency's around, the longer it has the ability to last. Um, and it'll be interesting. You know, we we keep talking about like how this whole cycle's turning over on us, and I was just talking to my dad before on the phone he's you know he just said like march has been slow at work for him in car sales and like that's fucking makes sense i've been reading a lot about that and you know here's a person telling me directly from his you know work that's happening you know what i mean so we're seeing it you know obviously the end of this cycle here this debt driven cycle i mean the whole world is drowning in debt right now i, I like that's the insanity this whole thing like it just boggles my mind that people are so out of tune with things like, the mainstream media laughs about us being $22 trillion in jet debt. China's $40 trillion in debt. And, like, no one seems to care. You know? Yeah, it's... It's, it's going to have a consequence eventually. Some, you know. Oh, for sure. Oh, that reminds me. I, uh... Somebody... <laughs> somebody... Uh, took one of my, uh... one of my stories and, like, turned it into a quote. And it was actually pretty funny. I was uh, I was pumped to see that somebody would actually take the time to do it and put it in a quote. And it said, uh, <laughs> "It said you can ignore Bitcoin all you want, but there are consequences to holding shitty money." Crypto humor. Uh, 
so there are consequences exactly and you know i don't want to say you're exposed by holding fiat because you you know people hold cash because of uncertainty that's one of the features of cash like that's why you would hold it because you can't predict the future if you could you would know at any point in time exactly how much money you would need and then you'd never hold any more than that but you can't predict the future so you need to hold uh physical money or, or cash or at least digital money in your bank account, whatever access to the financial rails you have at the time. Um, but that fiat money is susceptible to uh, inflation and hyperinflation, and it's unpredictable when that happens. So you can see your savings go away in an afternoon, which is really unfortunate. Uh, and I hope that that happens slower here so there's more warning signs about you know people thinking about um, starting to hold a money that's um, better than the one that they're already holding and that that was kind of the point of you know my saying is there are consequences you can ignore bitcoin if you want but um, if you're holding a shitty money that's going to inflate away and become worthless yeah. other people will hold a harder money and you're going to have to like deal with that that you can't just pretend that it doesn't exist um, but everybody will get there at a certain time yeah my next read's going to be murray, murray rothbard's when money dies and i actually i'm going to go grab my book if you want to keep talking because i want to read there's a really good summary on the back of it and i just want to read it for everyone so i'll be back in a second yeah, for sure. All right, well, we'll let you uh, go take a break, and I will try to ramble on a bit. But um, yeah, like there are consequences to holding fiat, and um, you know, on the topic, I'm going to do another uh, question from the listeners, <clears throat> and that was, how much Bitcoin should you be buying each week? Um, that's a that's a tough question, one that I don't feel comfortable giving you a specific answer on. But I've uh, I've been thinking of a new a new shitty saying, and it's uh, stack responsibly. So if I had to make a suggestion, I would say stop going out to eat, pack your lunch, you know, don't be an asshole. All that money that you're saving by not going out to eat, you can then take a percentage of that and buy Bitcoin and you can opt out of the current fiat money that you're using today. And I uh, don't think you um, purposely saving money and not eating out and packing your lunch to save a couple of bucks so you can buy 25 bucks of Bitcoin a week is irresponsible in the slightest because it is almost irresponsible to not hold some considering it has been the best performing asset in the last decade by a mile. Uh, and that's a fact. That's not an opinion. So as time goes on, another decade passes and Bitcoin's still around and everyone's like, oh, wow, I, I can't believe it's still around. Um, you could have been the guy who was buying 25 bucks a week worth in 2019. And over a couple of years, you accumulated half a Bitcoin or one Bitcoin and, and, and now life is good. Um, I wouldn't have called that super irresponsible. Um, as a matter of fact, I'd say it was very responsible because you were um, smart enough to recognize that uh, fiat money is easy money and Bitcoin is hard money. And you've uh, strategically chosen to make a decision to hold sound hard money and uh, protect your money from being inflated away. And uh, so that's the answer to the question of how much BTC should you buy a week? The question, the answer is it depends, but pack your lunch. 
Pack your lunches right, dude. I can't agree more with that. Uh, just to say, just to go on what you said earlier about the uh, Bitcoin best performing asset, even from just the August twenty or August twenty eleven to now, where Bitcoin's at around four thousand, it's up thirty six hundred and almost thirty seven hundred percent, which is three hundred and seventy times. That's <laughs> yeah, dude. And you know what? Somebody somebody was, else yeah, posted so ten bucks uh, to ten bucks to four thousand. <laughs> right, that's wild. Somebody else had um somebody else had back tested. If you were in 99% cash and 1% of Bitcoin starting from like 2012, beginning of 2012 or something, you would have outperformed the S&P from right. today, 100%. from the same points. That's, you know what I mean? Like that is so mind blowing when you think that you could have kept your, yourself in 99% cash, 1% Bitcoin and have done just fine, better than some of the best performing hedge funds on the planet, some of the most brilliant um, minds in finance, you could have outperformed them just by being some regular dude who bought a little bit of Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, so, it's crazy. I mean, see my screen. that's wild. I, if, if you're watching YouTube, you'll just see I inverted the scale of Bitcoin. Why? Because that's what's really going on right now. It's not that Bitcoin is gaining a lot of value. It's also your dollar is losing value. And that's what you, the way you got to look at it is Bitcoin is just gaining against the dollar. That's all it is. It's that simple. Yeah, I was just listening to um, Marty Bent's podcast. Uh, shout out to Marty Bent and Tales from the Crypt. Um, he was <laughs> he was interviewing Jay. Uh, I forget his last name. He's a lawyer. He lives in D.C. Really brilliant guy. It was an awesome uh, podcast to listen to. But he was kind of talking about that as well. You know, what are, what are the three options that you have here? Well, you know, we're in this crazy market. Um, so much debt. Uh, what are what are the options? One is you continue to print money. Printing money indefinitely will have no effect on anyone. Um, that's like modern money theory, I guess, which obviously doesn't work. Um, so that's one thing that could happen. That's definitely not going to happen. We already know that. Um, you know, two is some sort of you know bailout again. We kick the can down the road um, and deal with the repercussions later, or this like starts to unwind. And what does that look like as it starts to unwind? And what that really is, it's like a like a monetization event. That's the repricing of assets into something else as uh, as the U.S. dollar um, loses its reserve currency status for everything else. And that's exactly what you're seeing with this in, inverted chart here. Is just that's exactly what it is. Yeah. So I was gonna. I brought that book up when money dies. Excuse me. It's, it's Adam Ferguson's book. I'm, I don't know where I got Murray Rothbard. Murray Rothbard's "What Has Government Done with Our Money?" Done to our that's money. That's a good book. That's I recommend that. I'm, that's the next yeah. book. I'm, that's another book I'm reading. I, oh, I, I, I literally so good. Bought. I, had, I got a lot of books for like Christmas. I bought a lot of books because <laughs> I got I got like so a seventy five dollar Amazon card because of the Robinhood fuck up, and I so I used that to buy a bunch of books. Smart. Uh, yeah. So here I'm going to read the back of the "When Money Dies," and it's Adam Ferguson again. My apologies for missing messing that up. When money dies is the classic history of what happens when a nation's currency depreciates beyond recovery. In 1923, when its currency effectively worthless, the exchange rate in December of that year was $1 to 4.2 billion Deutsche to marks. The German public was all but reduced to a barter economy. Expensive cigars, artworks, and jewels were routinely exchanged for staples such as bread. A cinema ticket could be 
bought for a lump of coal and a bottle of a paraffin for a silk shirt. People watched helplessly as their life savings disappeared and their loved ones starved. Germany's finances descended into chaos with several social unrest in its wake. Money may no longer be physically printed and distributed in the voluminous quantities of 1923. However, quantitative easing, as we've discussed before, that modern euphemism for super, um, super deficit financing in an electronic era can no longer become an assault on monetary discipline. Whatever the reason for a country's deficit, necessity, or profligacy, excuse me, unwillingness to tax or, or blindness to expenditure, it is beguiling to suppose that if the day of reckoning is postponed, economic recovery will come in time to prevent a higher unemployment or deeper recession. What if it does not? Germany in 1923 is a, provides a vivid, compelling, sobering moral tale. And as we've discussed before on this podcast, that whole conundrum with Germany and hyperinflation led to the rise of the Nazi party, led to that whole fascism, because what happened was Germany had that huge crisis, and now eventually turned around in 1925, but then obviously the crash in 1929, global economy got wrecked. Um, and that's when Hitler really started to rise to power. And then obviously you saw what happened after World War II. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. When you fuck with the money supply, you fuck with people's savings. And that eventually leaves people with no option. And when people get hopeless and their, you know, and their lives get messed up, they will go to far reaches and put anyone into power and believe anything. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's scary. And um, I think now I have more hope. I'm starting to become less pessimistic as the days go on. Um, we have much better access to information, and I think people are starting to wake up to a lot of this stuff. I mean, we wouldn't be having this conversation at all if we didn't. So, And we wouldn't have any listeners if, if they didn't care either. So I think it, it's coming, and now we have the internet. It exists. Now we have uh, a money that is outside of the hands of um, government monopoly, which is um, great for everyone. Everyone benefits in this case, even the government. Um. So I think uh, better times are ahead. I just don't know how messy it gets in between now and then. Uh, and I think the transition might be a little smoother than we think. But it doesn't mean that a lot of uh, you know, people aren't, might not be too thrilled about the changes that are coming. That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely one thing that I, I, I think mainstream media is just not giving enough attention is the, what's going on in France right now is a big fucking deal. Macron... I don't see him making it through his full term. He's either going to be impeached, resign, or he's going to get assassinated. Like, it, I don't, like, the there have been protests going on there week after week now for 18 weeks. It's been since, like, what, November, December. It's been 18 weeks, and it's not getting any better. And I see these videos, and it's insane, you know, the, the fighting, the clashing basically between protesters and the police. And at some point that, you know, it's going to break. Something's going to break there. I mean... You can't keep having that every week, and that also that's killing their economy. You got you know people breaking stores, breaking people's cars, uh, people not showing up for work, people blocking highways. That's very much going to have a huge impact on France's economy. We already saw it with numbers that were reported back in uh, uh, quarter four, Q four. We saw it with you know France's numbers were you know obviously way under because of what was going on with the protests in November and into December. 
Yeah, I mean, it sucks. The The political risk, and I, you know, I don't even like this topic, but the political risk um, in general is very high, and it's much higher than people realize. And I think a lot yeah. of... Uh, a lot of that is like suppressed here in the U.S. Like we don't really get a good chance to see that depending upon where you get your news from. So it it might seem like all is fine in the world, but um, certain places things aren't going so hot. And uh, you know, it's just a, it's important to even if you only get that information uh, from here, you should definitely go check it out for yourself and see what you think. But there's definitely some shit going on globally, which paints a really good narrative for bitcoin because uh after you know getting through the first couple of chapters of anti-fragile i start thinking about bitcoin being anti-fragile and it only benefits from volatility and extreme uh, well extreme volatility so this political risk is extremely volatile and it uh, could get very ugly which only really benefits bitcoin um which is a good thing and a bad thing. It's a bad thing because, you know, there's a lot of unrest, but it's a good thing for Bitcoin because uh, it's showing how it's operating outside of the current system, which is exactly what we want. Yeah, it's um, – and I think we might have discussed before, but there's a obviously a rising tide on the left for socialism in the U.S. And I'm just going to say a straightforward – Socialism has always led to communism, and there's nothing good about it. You can literally – it's like the largest cause for death. Well, the largest cause for death is democide in the 20th century. But socialism plays a huge role in that. I'm not saying like other countries didn't contribute to death. Wars were obviously a huge atrocity in the 20th century. But that mainly comes from government control, the money supply, as we've talked about before with World War One, when you know basically all the European countries printed themselves and you know their currencies to being worthless. Not all of them, but they – did some damage and that's why as i've said before the u.s only accepted gold through supplies ammunition food etc because they knew that these other countries were printing the money you know basically to pay wages or whatever you want to say you know basically fucking over their own people um and it's sad but really there's this it's kind of scary to me because there's this rising socialism narrative in the u.s and that oh we can just make universal basic income out of everything you know what are you going to give everyone a thousand dollars in the u.s so how so you're not going to incentivize people to work. Nobody's going to want to produce anything. You know, it's it's all insanity. And I, you know, but people are going to fall for it. Why? Because when the economy collapses, they're going to blame capitalism. It's not capitalism. It's crony capitalism. It's what we're dealing with right now. Um, and it's it, it is a scary thought. And I hope that people will go for the free market route, the capitalist route. The you know, you put your hard work in, you get paid what you you know you deserve or you earn. <laughs> No, yeah, I I definitely echo all of those uh, statements, and I agree with you. Um, socialism isn't going to work, and I could see how it seems very appetizing because it sounds like it it's really great on paper, um, and then it typically ends in disaster. Well, it always ends in disaster, um, but that's where you kind of tie it really nicely back into Bitcoin because uh, a lot of these the the wars are only possible through the manipulation of the money supply. Um, sure, anybody can go to war. And I'm not saying that if we were everyone was using Bitcoin, there would never be a war again. Um, but <laughs> you wouldn't be able to have these wars drawn out for so long. I mean, we've been in Afghanistan for like 17 years or something, probably 18. longer. Yeah, and like who like how do you even pay oh, well, for that? Yeah. You know, like if if somebody if if you had to spend Bitcoin to pay for that to really fund that, would people really be willing to to 
to pay for, for that to continue. It's not beneficial for anybody. So, you know, that kind of stuff starts to go away all on its own. And it doesn't, and you know what, the, the way I think it's going to work, no one's even going to remember that it happened. It'll just fade out because you know, the, everyone will begin adopting Bitcoin. It will no longer be profitable to do those kinds of activities, right? So no one's going to spend their Bitcoin doing that. And, uh, the, the ship starts to correct itself and we get out of that mess. And I hope that, um, just because Bitcoin benefits everyone, even the the socialists might come to embrace Bitcoin um, for various reasons. Maybe we'll come up with some propaganda that would convince them to adopt it, that would make it better uh, for everyone and trick them. I don't know if it's possible, but we're going to try. Yeah, it's um, – yeah, I mean that's my goal. Like I – basically dedicate my Twitter and my Instagram to trying to inform people. I don't care more about anything else, really. I just try to educate people on this stuff because the thing is, is like the average person's mind is often something so worthless, whether it's the NCAA March Madness right now. I haven't watched a zip of that. Why? Because it doesn't matter to me. What matters to me right now is like, and I know we're going to talk about later, is macros. Like the, the global, you know, at least the U.S. equity market is about to reverse very hard. I don't know when, but in the next few weeks. Um and that's a lot more important to me. And it's a lot more important to everyone, actually. And the same thing with the monetary policy. Like, no one can, you know, like, I, I doubt any of my followers, very few, I'm not going to say all, any of them, follow what's going on with the Fed and them cutting rates, or not cutting rates, but they will begin cutting rates very shortly. They just halted all rates in 2019. We went from, I think, two, two rate hikes in 2019, uh, about three months ago, to now no rate hikes in 2019 and only one rate hike in 2020 which I bet they'll change their mind again in three months, you know, when it comes time, you know, when the market is down a lot, they'll, they'll cut rates and we'll probably go back to 0% interest rates. But I don't think there's anything going to really stop this madness now. Um, the, the the market always wins. We Every time central banks have intervened, we've seen it. It doesn't work. Right. That's actually a really good point. If it If it worked, we'd have more examples of fiat currencies working. Um, in perpetuity and lasting, uh, but we don't have any examples of those. This it, you're, we're in the process of, you know, watching fiat fail again. At least the current um, global reserve currency, even though I don't like that term, um, we're seeing that kind of unravel. Right, you know, uh, oil's being repriced um, in different base currencies. You're not going to have to use the U.S. dollar anymore. That you know. That's huge. That's really huge. But it's really interesting because the now you have a currency that's powered by energy and that flips the whole thing on its head because Bitcoin becomes the base currency. So when you're looking to um, mine Bitcoin, you need to go to the cheapest electricity source available or power source available. And that's typically going to be your excess renewable. Um, so that's going to be huge for uh, accelerating the adoption of excess renewable resources. Uh, maybe even some of these miners will be working together uh, with electricity providers or doing the work themselves because uh, it, it doesn't exist and helping to get excess electricity, maybe even to uh, local places that need it. But 
that influx and that complete change of being able to produce energy and it, the base currency in that energy is then Bitcoin. And then that Bitcoin is sold to the exchange and, you know, gets into the, uh, into circulation. I just think it's fascinating how all that will change. Oh yeah. No, 100%. It's, um, that whole repricing things for, you know, cause I know like we probably, I might discuss it before another podcast with like China was doing um, like, I don't know if it was gold back futures or one back futures, basically trading for oil to get around us, you know, sanctions and basically to have another option. Um, and you see, I think Russia was trading something else, but they're also doing, um, I think European, a lot of European countries are doing the Euro for Iranian oil because, you know, us dollar obviously sanctions isn't allowed. And so we're seeing, this is again, here's another example of political risk, trade wars, etc. Um, it's economic warfare, it's warfare, is what it is. It's an, a sanction's an act of war. Basically, you are like, a sanction's not going to affect the top 1% in Iran. It's going to just affect everyone else in Iran. It's going to make the shopkeeper lose, you know, lose, you know, a huge percentage of money or business. But it's not going to affect the very, very wealthy in Iran or the, the political class. Right, right. And that's one of the issues with um, the current government monies that we have today is you can weaponize them. Like the current financial system can be weaponized and it's being weaponized right now. Um, and that's that's uh, kind of scary. But somebody mentioned on, on Marty Bent's podcast, actually, um, that the guy who's working for the Human Rights Foundation was talking about actually being able to weaponize Bitcoin. So like right now, if we could be getting as much Bitcoin as we could to the people that need it in Venezuela, you'd be weaponizing Bitcoin against Maduro, which I had never thought about it that way, that you could use Bitcoin in, in that way. That's really interesting. That could be a, um, a political tactic that a, that a government could use on a hostile um, regime or uh, not that anybody's even hostile uh, and, you know, weaponizing it against them. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah, no, it, it, the U S dollar is a weapon. It's a simple, it's an economic weapon. Um, and obviously we wield a really big stick here in the U S um, you know, with our current military power. So it's one of those things, you know, we can use it as a weapon of mass destruction. Basically um, we see it time and time again across other countries. Um, and like, I, I don't think we've mentioned this before in the podcast, but like the sanctions that happened in Iraq between uh, the first Gulf War, so 1991 to leading up to Iraq, uh, Operation Iraqi Freedom in 2003 caused somewhere in the neighborhood of like 500,000 deaths from starvation because they couldn't get food. Um, and did it affect Saddam and his, his guys? No. Um, so I got to look this up, but it's one of those things, again, the American media doesn't cover it at all. Like, I bet you maybe a few people in the podcast listening might have heard this before, but we were talking about this before the podcast because uh, I sent you, like, a meme about it, and it sounds bad because it, it was a meme about what ha – well, because of the recent anti uh, the Christchurch shooting, you know, because 50 people died, obviously a terrible incident. But, you know, it was a meme basically saying, like, the U.S. government looking away. But the point is, is it's so – it just shows, again, how easy people are manipulated by the media – when this incident happens, but like here again, 500,000 people died. And I think it was, if that, that might be just children. Um, yeah, and that's, I a, mean, it, that's, that's horrible. insane. It, yeah. I, I think I was reading about it. It was like, um, and it was just a while ago because Adam Kokesh talked about it and I was watching his video. It was like one in five people or one in four, some ridiculous number where people you knew would die 
during that period. Yeah, that sucks. That's like, uh, yeah, that's terrible. Um, and I, I don't know. I think eventually it should have been more obvi- obvious that any type of government intervention in like anything typically never works. Um, it, there's, I, I don't know that we've seen any good results out of any kind of um, government intervention into anything, which uh, is unfortunate because that's what we pay them for is to intervene on your behalf and to uh, protect your property rights. But um, that doesn't always happen. Yeah, no, I pulled up the article. Um, it says, you know, some, I'm seeing 500,000 show up here, though, a few times. Um, and I'm not surprised at all. I mean, you starve a country. That's going to happen. You know, this happens when countries do that. Right. Exactly. It's uh, it's terrible. Um, it really is. To... Uh... One other piece of news I wanted to talk about very quickly, since I think we kind of uh, beat that other topic to death, is um, Binance looks like they're trying to get into the on-ramp industry, which is kind of an interesting play for them. But it makes sense because they're a you know a big exchange with a ton of shitcoins on them. But uh, they opened in in Australia a cash to Bitcoin brokerage service, and. Uh, Looks like it has like a 5% fee. You definitely need to do KYC AML, which isn't great for those users who want to do that. But um, it is another on-ramp in Australia, to be specific. Uh, So we'll see. I think we're going to start seeing more on-ramps from different players that we haven't heard of before. Uh, and I'm, I'm really interested in like the voucher system where you could get a voucher from a corner store or something like that that has a code on it where you could then redeem Bitcoin. Um, I think that might be an easier sell than actually having to use the ATM because the, the voucher model is like really similar to um, what people are already used to for like buying mobile phone minutes or something like that. So I could see that. Um, being a new way to buy Bitcoin that doesn't really exist yet today. Uh, and I think there's going to be other ways to acquire Bitcoin that we can't think of today. Um, and earning Bitcoin is going to be huge, which gets into Lolly. And uh, Lolly is a really interesting project. They are, it's basically a browser extension that works very similar to Ebates where, you know, for over 500 brands, you could do your online shopping and earn up to 30% back in Bitcoin, which is huge. So I think that's a really good way to onboard new users, your friends, your parents, um, people that you've been talking to about Bitcoin for a while, but they're still on the fence. They still aren't sold. Now they don't even have to buy it. I, I think that's a big hurdle, right? For someone needs to, okay, take the time to sign up for an exchange, do KYC, AML, all that stuff, um, learn what it is, think about if they want to keep it on the exchange or send it to a hardware wallet. Like it's a lot going on. Um, but people shop online every day and they do it constantly. And why not? earn Bitcoin for all of your purchases. So I think that's a good way to uh, get those uh, loved ones into the Bitcoin space. And it's just, we're just going to see more things like this where it just becomes easier to get your hands on Bitcoin, whether you're being paid in it, you're earning it for services, you're earning it shopping, you're buying it from uh, new ways that you haven't thought of before. Uh, What do you think? Basically, 
the simpler it is, the easier people get on. That's the whole important part here. But obviously, again, as we said, you need to use your adoption. Lolly won't work if there aren't people using Bitcoin. It's that simple. And they have to be using it too. You can't just be holding your Bitcoin because if you're not, if you're holding it, you're not spending it. You know what I mean? So if you're in that sense, um, that's... yeah. And in that case, I think uh, that's actually a really good point because I was thinking of Lolly more as like a savings tool. Because really, and you know, to to bring up a question that somebody had sent in, I think this goes really nicely. They said. Or they asked, how does the average person contribute to mass adoption? And I think using things like Lolly is a really good way to get that started because it's really easy, it's intuitive, and you can you can create new hodlers because every time someone's using Lolly for a purchase and they're getting that Bitcoin, I'm not really as concerned with them getting that Bitcoin into circulation. I'd rather them actually uh, hodl that and dry up the supply. Because um, the quicker we can, so we can pump you know, your bags. That's what I mean. Like, it, <laughs> but that's the only. But then the theory is because you know the theory well, is no price, price will drive price adoption. drives adoption, right? Price drives adoption. So if if I can convince someone to sign up for Lolly and tell them not to like, well, to withdraw it, but keep it, like don't spend it, because you're just going to dry up the supply, which is going to. Um, increase the price, which will then increase adoption. So, like you, you want that hockey stick chart to get started eventually. And now that you have, uh, you have a a good right, that, that's not physical, but it's limited in supply. It's the only thing that we have ever, except for human time, that's finite. Like we're not going to have more than twenty one million. So, like we're really drying up the supply. Um, and I don't think we've had a really good sense of what true scarcity does. And I think the FOMO that we're going to see in the next decade could get unbelievable just because of that, because we've never seen an asset that's this scarce before. Um, and that's where it gets really interesting. So I think if you want to contribute to mass adoption, help us dry the supply out and become a hodler and put that shit into cold storage. And then afterwards, you know, the price will pump and, uh, you know, mass adoption will be here someday, and and then you can spend your your Bitcoin freely. But I think your 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 uh, purchasing habits will be much different in a world where uh, Bitcoin is money. You won't be spending so frivolously. Maybe a Lambo or two every once in a while. Um, although I don't recommend it. Um, I, I, I I I hated that Lambo means so much because it's everyone would talk about that, and like I'm a car guy, and I just hate that. Like I love cars, and like so do I. Was, where people are just talking about Lambos and they, they couldn't tell you the difference between a Gallardo, a Murcielago, an Aventador, a Huracan, etc. It's just so stupid. And then you get guys like trying to show off that they're like renting like old fucking like 2002 Gallardos. I love that. When people like, when people are like, oh, he's got a Lambo. I'm like, bro, it's a 2002 Gallardo. Come on. Like, and I don't think that's an awesome car. If you can get a six speed 2002 Gallardo, good for you. But point being, don't fall for it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to uh I'm going to do my best to sit on my hands for as long as possible. And I'm gonna start to wait to hear um when other people are talking about thinking about taking profits. You know, there's gonna be some key levels one day. I don't know what they're gonna be. Yeah. Uh some people like to think about it like in terms of market cap or oh, you know, when we if we you know, we get to seven, eight trillion, we're near the market cap of gold, you know, I'd consider um you know, taking some off the table to diversify into 
another asset class. Like I can see a lot of people selling at 250, 300K to buy real estate, thinking that's going to return better than Bitcoin, which I don't think is true. Um, so I don't know that I, I'm going to wait and see, but it'll once, once, once the bull market starts, I, I mean, that's the, everyone's going to be talking about there it. Were, there were plenty of, um, one looking back at some of the old charts before I really became a serious price action trader. There are like a lot of good price action signals. Like ripple has the perfect example. Like, um, but two, there was, if you're on crypto Twitter, there were a lot of guys who'd been in the game for a while who said plenty of times take profit you know, so this is this is getting ridiculous. Uh, I remember Loomdart was posting like, "These gains aren't normal. None of this is normal." He's like, "He's like, I'm taking some off the table." And then all these like, you know, crypto noobs came and attacked him. You're an idiot. You're gonna lose money, etc. And he's like, after seeing these comments, I'm taking more off the table. And he was right. Like he was hundred percent. Yeah. No, that's a good point. I, I think I think you like you're gonna get spooked if you've already been in to Bitcoin or crypto, uh, you'll get spooked at some point when somebody, uh, the, the barber, the hairdresser, the guy at CVS, like mentions Bitcoin or something, you know, you're getting close to peak, um, FOMO. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. Some people aren't going to sell at all. They're going to wait as long as humanly possible until they have to actually make a purchase, right? Buy a home, buy a car, um, pay for something large, like that's going to be the time that they hold till. Um, but if you haven't been through other crashes, the time that if you're getting in during a bull market, you think like, Oh, like, thank God I just got in on time. Like we're taking off. It's going to be paradigm shift. Like fiat's over. Everyone's moving to Bitcoin with me at the same time. Like this is going to be great. And you know, there's a crash right around the corner. Yeah, I wasn't around. I like in 2017. I didn't know that. I'm like, oh, perfect. I'm gonna. I got in right before. um, Bitcoin's gonna be the only money on the planet. I can't believe I made it. Like, thank God, I was smart enough to see this happening. I can't believe all these idiots. We were heavy shitcoiners then too. Yeah, this is the Doge, this giant ass like Doge right here. And now it's just like, oh, okay. You know, this has happened before. This is typically how it works. This is how it goes. So now it's now, you know, like every I've come to terms with the bear market. I've made my peace. It's OK. Um, I, know, <laughs> I, know, like I know Bitcoin's not going to die. It's not going away. And I actually just heard uh, a coworker ask me about Bitcoin yesterday because they heard it was in the dumps. And Dude, I love they could I have just... only heard that from one place, which is the mainstream media. So um, when I hear things like that, that actually gets me bullish because Bottom confirmation, baby. Yeah, like that's the thing. At least I'm more aware now. Now I'm I'm thinking to myself like, okay, I need to be diligent now if if I'm going if I'm going to buy Bitcoin each week um, to add to a stack to to hold for as long as humanly possible. And I'm hearing that from mainstream and from a coworker that oh, how's Bitcoin doing? I heard it's in the dumps. That's a good sign that I need to start paying attention because um, I think there's only one or two reasons why it would be on mainstream. Yeah, no. When mainstream's talking about stuff, it's you know that's your time to uh, 
like it, when they were saying, you know, be bullish when me and Shimmy was covering it, like when CNBC was covering Ripple last year and like shit, other shit coins, that was the time. That was your sign. Um, yeah. When Brian Kelly is back on doing like the crypto like update or something on CNBC, I think I don't know <laughs> the first time you see it, that might be a sign that we're the bull market started like we're in it. Um, I just don't know how close to the to the crash it is. But um, oh, my God, when you think about Brian Kelly, like telling people how to buy Ripple at like literally the top is the funniest thing. And in hindsight, I'm so stupid, like not realizing like it's over, like this is this is done. Now you're going to have to, you know, wait through this bear market. Uh I guess you're just in like peak euphoria. So, it, you know, even if I knew better, maybe I wouldn't have. I'm I'm ready. Now I'm prepared. I can see the signs. So listen, we've been out there like watch for the signs. <laughs> watch for people who don't know shit about Bitcoin. Start talking about it. You need to start paying attention a little bit more. It's a uh, yeah, no news is a pretty good counter indicator. Um, and news is always late behind the price. Um, like last year with that December, December was stupid last year, even January, obviously, because January we were still pumping. Like that, that last pump in January was just insane. Like into that first week of January, it was just like, as I've, I've told people, like people ask me about it. I'm like, you, I was like, you literally kind of throw a dart at any fucking coin on the top, at any coin on CoinMarketCap, if like basically before October and been fine. You would have made money 10, 20, 30x. And if you got an earlier... Like, dude, people who bought shitcoins in the early 2017 before that that run in March and April into May, you're up 100x by the end of the year if you just held that bag, if not more. Yeah. The, it's just, it's <laughs> mind-boggling, dude. The, the market cap yeah. of crypto went from $17 billion to $833 billion. Like, that's... Uh, uh. Yeah, that's actually a good point. I'd like to mention... This is March 2019. Um, the entire space of the market has not yet pierced $1 trillion. Yeah, So in case was... you're listening to this a uh, year or however many years it takes for us to break into the trillions, there was a time when it wasn't in the trillions, and it was just a tiny little drop in the bucket, and nobody gave a shit about it. Um, <laughs> but wait until we get into the trillions, man. Like Things really start moving. Then you have this whole bed of liquidity under it, you know, like – and you can really fucking do some damage. Yeah, it's that. You, I thought we were gonna hit a trillion last year. We were close. We were really so close. did I. I thought we were gonna hit that trillion cap, and I was just like, we were. I was like, wow, we're close. Cause when we hit the, when we were getting above eight hundred. I was like, wow. Um, it was funny. I, I think I mentioned before. Uh, I had somebody mention to me, uh, a friend of mine. Things are getting a little bit bubbly. I was like, right after Christmas, and I was like, yeah, they are. <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. You want to uh, you want to mention the uh, some of that macro stuff we didn't get to cover yet? I know we covered a lot of it earlier, but okay. um, yeah, let's do that. I saw and I put it on my story today. Just it was you know, same shit, different day, but you know, student debt bubble oh, God. is basically giving. Uh, 
you know, millennials uh, negative net worth as soon as they enter the workforce, which, you know, sucks. No, I, I like, I thankfully have no student loans, but like I obviously yeah. everyone, odd majority of my friends do. Majority That's what I mean. Right, right. You're, you're an exception. I luckily graduated without any, um, without any debt. It was fantastic. I can't yeah. believe I got so lucky um, to have, you know, scholarships to, to cover the bill. Um, that really worked out, but that's, uh, rare. So, yeah. you know, and it's also the effect it's having, like people don't want to have kids either cause they don't think they can afford it. So now you have this other issue of, uh, population. Yeah. I mean, it, it just sucks in general, but, um, it's nice because I 100% can link it back to Bitcoin because the only reason that any of this is happening is because of, um, manipulation of the money supply. You wouldn't have... Uh, the cost of private college increased 300% from the 80s to today and uh, be dealing with uh, money that's become more and more worthless over time to the point where uh, you could be a uh, a couple making $200,000 a year and you don't think you can afford to have kids. Like the, those are astronomical numbers and you still think it's not possible. Like that really sucks. Yeah. Um, and so, um, yeah, and the macro thing, I I put this on my I think my Insta story and I tweeted about it the other day when that happened. Um, so basically, what happened was the U.S. dollar crushed because the Fed went dovish again. They're not going to rate hikes. They're they you know as I said earlier the rate hikes are not doing them this year. Um, the U.S. dollar crushed and I'll just try to get some USD pairs open on. Um, my computer wants to load here. Um, get some USD pairs open on forex and then. Well, I'll just look at this from the commodities too, because so what happened basically was USD pairs, so like USD JPY, USD CAD, you name it, got crushed. You know, um, you know when Powell announced that we're not going to do more rate hikes, um, like right here, we just dumped at 2 p.m. <clears throat> now we've risen back, but the commodities, the, the, the vice versa situation, commodities went up, gold, silver, oil, all went up on that news, um, and so basically what's going on is. You know, by keeping it suppressing interest rates, basically, uh, it is weakening the dollar. Higher interest rates, better to hold the dollar. Um, you know, and it, higher interest rates, for those who understand, incentivize people to save. And what happens will be had over the past decade from when the, the global financial crisis, basically 2009 to somewhere mid-2015, we had a federal funds rate of 25 basis points, which is a quarter of a percent which is nothing which means money was free everyone could lend for nothing and the federal funds rate was just the uh rate that banks lend, lend each other money at and um and so you know now we're at 2.25 percent somewhere in there but it might be 2.5 but either way point is we're nowhere near normal still and um and obviously the bond market is telling us that too and because the bonds all dumped actually the friend he works think for Moody's I don't know we was talking about it but um and so basically Powell's, Powell's comments are just what's going to happen is the yield curve's inverting that's always a sign for economy having troubles recession etc um and he said I'm reading a little zero hedge article here look no further than the yield curve where everything to the left of the seven-year treasury and even that is in danger um, in parentheses is now inverted to the effective federal funds rate. Two, okay, so the effective federal funds rate now is 2.4%, with the two and three year yields tumbling to 2.326%. So the fund, you know, it's the funds rates for like overnight banking basically. 
it is that's absolutely insane so the yield curve is completely inverting and even the five-year is at 2.38 that's hilarious so you could buy a five-year bond and you can pay more for you know overnight um it's pretty funny how that works and this is going to become a big issue and this is obviously a leading indicator that a recession is happening if we are not already in one and um it wouldn't shock me you know the next probably by the by august honestly that we're really hitting the shitter and obviously the stock market leads it and any serious drop off in that market will scare people and what it what it does is it takes away the wealth effect so as a rising market you know people's stocks go up their household net worth goes up and they feel like spending more because guess what when you're up you know a thousand percent of stock and you have you know a million in paper profits you're gonna go spend more you're gonna go buy a toy but guess what that million in paper profits can get wiped away in a matter of days weeks very quickly um that's what people understand and that's the huge risk we have here with this whole propping up of the market it's just more likely to lead to a day where there's just going to be endless selling and there's going to be no way to stop it and now all the central banks have basically used up their ammunition <coughs> excuse me for the past decade you know by constantly um buying whether in the, in the case of the ecb they're offering new cheap loans uh, longer term loans and they're also considering to buy stocks kind of like the bank of japan where the bank of japan is the largest holder of stocks and bonds which is absolutely insane uh for those that don't know Bank of Japan was the first um, central bank to do quantitative easing back in 2001. And that was because of their lost decade. And the lost decade happened because of, excuse me, it happened because the 1989-1990 peak in their market where, you know, their stock went vertical and then it just dumped and it has never gotten anywhere near that high. And so this is a huge issue we face right now. We are in a situation where rates are going to get, we're going to cut rates, and obviously the dollar is going to get killed with this. So your dollar is going to become weaker. It's going to have less purchasing power. And this is what a lot of people understand is how quickly it's happening. Yeah, that's the thing. Once these things get started, um, you know they 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 happen very slowly, but then everything kind of happens all at once, um, and that's that's scary because it it's going to be abrupt when it does happen. Um, it also makes me wonder if ECB is um, thinking about investing in equities um, and Bank of Japan has been doing that for so long. Does that mean they could draw this out even longer if they wanted to? That's a good question. It, the systemic risk falls on the BOJ. They're the largest like shareholder in a, a lot of companies. Well, what happens when people just start selling? You know, what happens when the algo starts? Our markets are driven by algorithms. They aren't, you know, it, it's really fucked and you can see it. And part of my language in that, but you can really see it when you zoom in on these charts and like the Fed Powell's, you know, when I, when I was watching the other day, how the market immediately reacted at 2 p.m. That's not, I mean, sure, humans are part of it, but there, there's a, another part of the equation is the algos. Um, and... And on top of that is the ETFs. ETFs are supposedly safe vehicles, but the hard part is ETF liquidity. And um, I have a friend who's like working on a paper on that. I don't know if he's done with it, but basically how ETFs, you know, they have to sell what's in the ETF, to, you know, eventually. And getting that to be liquid is a huge issue. Do they have, um, do they have those shares to sell or whatever, or buy back, etc. <laughs> right. It's, it's 
it's a big issue. And I think we're, you know, ETFs really have become that big thing in the past decade since the global financial crisis. Oh, the spider ETF, you know, the transportation, yeah. the tech, et cetera. I um, think there's a lot of rehypothecation going on with some yes, of those ETFs. That, that, was the, that was exactly yeah. rehypothecation. That's exactly what I was looking for. Yeah, right. Um, there's there's going to be more outstanding paper claims to an underlying asset and not enough of the underlying asset for everybody to actually claim it. And that's when things are going to get a little messy. I think that happened with Dole. Um, Caitlin Long uh, it came into a legal battle where she ended up uncovering that there were more outstanding claims than what actually existed so that she knew rehypothecation was happening and has been happening and is probably happening in other places. Yeah. And those ETFs can definitely be a vehicle of that, which is actually one of the reasons why I'm thinking I'm, I don't even care about the Bitcoin ETF anymore because one, I don't want it to lead to um, rehypothecation, even though it's not going to matter because I'm always going to hold my keys. But um, I think the real issue is just that custody isn't really solved yet. Nobody's really comfortable with it yet. So once you have custody um, solved in a in a better way that's acceptable, I don't think you're going to need the ETF or the futures markets. Like you're going to be able to get the trading done with the underlying and the investor or the the fund or whoever won't even they're not going to know the difference. The the custody is going to work exactly the same as it did before, or they're going to feel. Ex- just as comfortable as they currently do with what they invest in. Otherwise, um, right now they don't, they're, they don't even care if there's paper claims to what they're investing in. They're just holding it. Um, and Bitcoin's different. So they lose their minds. But in reality, once they figure out a better way to do custody for those, um, larger funds, which is happening, like we're going to see it soon. Uh, I don't even think it's going to matter as much, maybe from a regulatory standpoint, there's going to be some, that will be hesitant because they still don't want to deal with the underlying. But I mean, it's only a matter of time. Yeah. Um, that's a very good point on that. Um, and I think over time people will realize the power of Bitcoin and the ability to leverage that Bitcoin, whether when you're trading it, whether you're using it to buy stuff online and being able to access it at any time and send it anywhere in the world at any time is also a huge factor. Um, I think you'll, we'll, we'll, look, we'll look back at ETFs and Bitcoin is pretty stupid. Because Bitcoin is internet money, right? Like it's it will we'll laugh that we tried to we we're trying to recreate like a, a technical solution to a paper problem that we had before, right? And now like the money is the technical solution itself, or we're using it as money. <laughs> so like that's the whole point of using the network um, is that it's. It's not an efficient network, but it's really efficient at being a sound money, and it's the best we can come up with right now. So that's you know what we're going to use is money. Money competes with each other, and now you have a free market for money. So um, Bitcoin is really competing with central bank money and government money, um, and we'll see how it goes. But it's it's certainly a harder money, and uh, in May of 2020, it will officially be the hardest money because the emissions schedule will be lower than the, the uh, current inflation rate of gold, like 1.8% or something. It's going to be around there, um, which is awesome. 
That's great for Bitcoin. We'll see if it matters. I don't think the halving is priced in because a lot of people are DMing me, asking me what I'm talking about when I say what's the halving. So that's a good indicator that the people who are interested in this space um, have no clue what the halving is. So that's yeah. uh, bullish in my opinion because that information is not priced in. It's only priced in in the very um, small Bitcoin echo chamber that I subscribe to. So <laughs> everybody knows about it, but uh, everybody outside of our little bubble has has, exactly. uh, no, has no fucking clue. So that's um, super bullish. That just goes to show you that asymmetric information is totally out there. You just got to be willing to look for it and read and study it because it's not complicated. You're going to be, I just started reading Sovereign Individual actually. Highly recommend it. It's available on Amazon. It's, um, it's done being on back order. I've been trying to order it all year and it's been on back order. Um, I definitely recommend checking it out. And it was written in 1997 and they're literally talking about how a cyber currency will lead to the end of kind of the government regime because, um, <laughs> and it says like right in there, um, governments will attempt to print money to, um, you know, to pay for their, uh, socialist policies and cyber money will kind of make that irrelevant and it will bankrupt them. And, you know, you have to be ready for this new, uh, information age. It's really cool. It's really awesome. I definitely recommend reading it. I'm maybe like 35 pages in, but they've been awesome and I hate to read and I'm actually reading it. So it's, it's legit. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, interesting. Um, back to what you were saying earlier about the, it, it's crazy to me how much, you know, the interest in crypto and Bitcoin in general has just dropped off, you know? Yeah. It's non-existent. And I, 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 I call people out about it like in the summer because I was like, no one's, no one's buying here at, you know, Six thousand. No one's buying here at five thousand. No one's asking me about Bitcoin at five thousand dollars. No one's asking me about six thousand. No one's asking about it at three thousand dollars. But guess what? If Bitcoin goes back to twenty k, people will be asking about it. Guaranteed. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, I some of these, I like, I try to post at least one meme a day, and uh, yeah, I probably get like two hundred, three hundred, sometimes a thousand likes, you know, if it's, I guess if it's actually funny, typically they're not that funny. They're just, they're just, they're just funny to me. That's why I post them. It's just, it's really just a page for me. I'm just documenting all the shit that I want to look at later and uh, making memes, but you can tell the difference when the market's pumping. No, no problem. 1500 likes, 2000 likes, hundred thousand views on a video. And then, you know, nobody gives a shit about Bitcoin or crypto anymore. And it's like, you know, 200 likes on a really shitty meme, maybe a couple hundred if it's half decent. Uh, so you can tell it's a really good indicator for me to see that um, we're down. But I also have been getting way more DMs than ever about people who want to learn about Bitcoin, which is um, which is good. That goes to show me that we are in the middle of the bear market or hopefully getting closer to the end. Um, people want to learn about it. They're still interested. They think lightning is really cool. They're, you know, waiting to see what happens with that. They think that might be some sort of trigger to um, a price increase. I don't necessarily know that that's the case, but I guarantee you that the next um, wave of new users coming into the space will, they won't even have to know about, uh, you know, SegWit 2X and the block size debate and all that bullshit that everybody had to go through. They're just going to, um, Bitcoin's going gonna to work so much better for them from the start because of all of the uh, infrastructure that was laid out and built during the bear market, which is typically how these things go. 
from what I hear and from the research that I've done, I've never experienced it yet. So this is still my first bear market and I'm thoroughly enjoying it now that I've uh, come to terms with it and, no, yeah, and know what to expect. I, I actually enjoy it too. It's nice. Um, it's nice. It's quiet. Uh, I scrolled back deep into your memes and I found one from January 8th, 2018 when coin market cap decides to exclude South Korean prices and the overall market cap of all cryptocurrencies tank instantly. And then it's like the Thomas had never seen such a mess. Uh, dude, <laughs> I remember when I remember because so for those who don't know, like South Koreans, it's called Kamichi Premium. Uh, the South Koreans were just going nuts over crypto, and they were paying like basically anywhere from ten, sometimes twenty, thirty percent more for a certain crypto asset, or Bitcoin, on on their exchanges and stuff. It was hilarious. Like I think Ethereum was like trading at, like fifteen hundred on like. US, other exchanges, and then Korea was like 1800. And then, like, I think Ripple was three, hit like 330 on US exchanges, and it hit like over four bucks on Korean exchanges. The frenzy in Korea was nuts. Um, and, you know, again, you know, it, it'll be interesting if we ever get a frenzy like that again. Who knows? But, um, and that's just a reminder that there probably will be another shitcoin run eventually. I mean, we have been seeing shitcoins run lately. Not in the uniformity we saw last year where everything kind of went together. You know, one giant rising tide where we're all just like, what? <laughs> yeah, I Dude. mean, uh, it's possible that we might never see an alt season again, but it's certainly possible that we will because um, people well, don't take the time to I learn it. They, they jump into that kind of stuff. So alt, we're definitely going to see something like that again. Yeah, alt season sometimes is like mistermed because – there have been other alt seasons in the past in crypto and like that alt season was different from others though. That was everything rose at the same time. And yeah, that- and it was like it wasn't just rising like oh hundred percent. It was like, oh, it went from ten cents to two bucks. What? Like Yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> and you yeah. I think um yeah, I don't know. The SEC has kind of stepped in on that. I don't think anybody's going to be stupid enough to start launching ICOs again in the future. That that might be done, but uh, it'll be – I guess my question is will the alts that exist today um, still catch another run? Will things pick up steam during the next bull run and people will you know be uh, – you know, they'll be pumping partnerships or some bullshit – uh, yeah, like that, that's definitely possible, but it might not be all of them at once this time. This was kind of just an ICO mania and everything was going to be the, you know, the token to be used for this or the token to be used for that. And now everybody's starting to realize that's dumb. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I'm sure we'll still see some ICOs, but it's not going to be like a hundred ICOs in a month like it was in January dude, of 2018. You know, like dude, it was insane in September. That's what I, I mean. was writing articles about it. Yeah. We were, we were doing like, oh, it was like 20 a day or something stupid. It was some stupid number, dude. I mean, I remember going to like, um, those ICO like lists and there was already like hundred active. And then you had like, like, I think it was like mid September. There was, yeah, it was like mid September. There was like 30 or 40 for the rest of the month. And there were like five, six different ICOs a day. I mean, it was just like candy at the candy shop. I mean, what the hell? And I, yeah, like that, summer 2017, I remember the ICOs just started going nuts. Like bat sold out in 30 seconds. Yeah, summer 2017 was wild. Never for, forget. Never forget. Just, Fucking baptism by fire, baby. 
Yeah, the height, <laughs> everything. You know what though? Uh, people were having a good time, and, oh, dude. Uh, was, and I'm sure that yeah, they're gonna have a good time again. Like, I think there's gonna be a lot more of the community coming together. Like, everybody's so pissed that it's a bear market because the people who you know what I mean, like the people who know what Bitcoin is, or they're you know they're they're jumping down that rabbit hole, and they're like, like I don't understand why isn't it. Why isn't the price higher? Like this works so well. It, it, it's such a good money, but nobody else gives a shit yet because they don't need it. Um, but <laughs> they will, and it's, they're going to need it sooner than you think. The modern money theory experiment doesn't end well. So pack your lunch, man. Stack some sats. Pack your lunch. I like it. Hashtag pack the lunch. Yeah, that might be a new uh, beef and Bitcoin saying. I'm not sure. We'll we'll test it out. People will definitely DM me and be like, "Yeah, that's stupid. Don't say Don't that ever anymore. Say it come, again. <laughs> come up with another." Yeah. So you know, uh, but uh, we'll stick with it. Let's we'll see if it sticks. Yeah. What do you think, man? This is a pretty good episode. Yeah, we did pretty good. I thought we yeah. did. I mean, we covered quite a bit of topics. Um, informed our listeners and what viewers. Yeah, so. we attempted to. So we hope you guys got something yeah. out of that. Don't forget to um, like and subscribe to Beef and Bitcoin wherever you listen to this. It's on YouTube, um, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. So give us a review, um, a review if you can, uh, star rating, whatever you feel like giving us. Uh, it really helps get this podcast higher up on the rankings so that people who are searching for it can find it. Uh, we do appreciate that. You can share it with your uh, loved ones if, they, if you think they, they might enjoy it. But um, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter. Handles are Crypto Humor and Crypto Coitus. Uh, thanks a lot for uh, checking out the show. Thank you.